why I love A, a so much because there's so many dear friends over so many years. <laughs> um, so I'm very grateful to David and to Barbara. Where's Barbara? Oh, here she is. Really, really lovely to be here. About uh, a year ago, I was out at my nephew's group, and I thought, oh, to hell with any notes and whatnot. I just want to talk right off the top of my head. Well, it was a big mistake because by the time I got started, one, is that something? <laughs> uh, one um, episode led to another. One anecdote led to another. And then I couldn't remember why I had started in the first place. I said, gee, well, what was I saying? Somebody in the front row told me, yelled it out, and that happened about six times. And they were sitting on the edge of their seats waiting for me to forget again where I was. So I thought, that's the end of that. I better have some notes before, before me and also have a little bit of, of um, uh, how, to, how to arrange these things. Anyway, what, did, uh, what I wanted to do, so I'm very happy that uh, you're here and the convention doesn't begin till 9.30 tonight, so you'll be sure to get back to that, I think, no, no, no problem. Now, what I'd like to do is, where is it, um, do you know that, um, have you seen or do you have a copy of Dr. Uh, uh, Bob's children's book, Young Bob and, and Sue's book? Well, I'm, then I'm going to show you something new tonight. <laughs> They are, Bob I love. Bob is like my brother. We've been close for years, and Betty, his wife. And um, the last time that I saw them was in Texas back in May when I was down there. And, oh, it was such always such a great reunion. In fact, I got one little picture of them taken from the, the, group, the, um, the um, dinner that we had down there. So this is their book, Children of the Healer, uh, the story of Dr. Bob's kids. And it is, in, in the first uh, um, person, their stories, each of uh, their two stories told in the first person, um, what their lives were like, what they went through, and also talked about their mother and father. So it's a very, very interesting. It's a very down-to-earth, very honest, um, very pragmatic type book. So what I, what I thought I might do is just, uh, since we're... It won't take too long. I'll, I'll start it out, and you can look at it. And here's some, at the same time, here's some pictures I won't bother telling all about. Here's some pictures of the new office. If, has anybody been to the new uh, AA office? You have? Oh, great. Anybody else? Hey, my feet are sticking to something here. Not that I... <laughs> Always something, right? Um, <clears throat> but that is... Uh, and besides, I like uh, Bob's book because it has pictures. Mine doesn't. The reason mine has no pictures is because um, I have a thousand pictures of Lois and a lot of albums of her and during the events, the people that happened up at, at Stepping Stones. <clears throat> but Eleanor uh, does not use her picture. But they very graciously said I could if I wanted to, and of course I didn't want to, and if they don't, I don't want to do it either. And so I couldn't use her picture. We can use Bill's. But the good, real good picture I have of Bill was some years ago taken with my boyfriend. And uh, so I decided that maybe I shouldn't, uh, you know, I mean, I was leaning towards him. <laughs> and, um, that would be a nice picture of Bill by himself. And maybe that should have taken it because that's what I wanted anyway. The other um, um, turn down was because a, a lot of the, uh, of the buildings, um, houses, stepping stones, uh, the office itself, where some of the meetings were held, et cetera, et cetera, out at Akron. 
um, had a lot of people in them, AAs, and so I couldn't use the pictures of those. And the pictures that I had of nobody in the houses or around the yards or anything, the uh, publishers felt that was too dull, and so we never did have <laughs> I didn't have a single picture in it, and I'm very disappointed, so I'm very envious with this book. <laughs> However, I'm very glad that um, they are able to have it. Um, the, um, lots of books, of course, have been written about AA. We all know that. We've all read, I'm quite sure, that many of the books that have been out. Pardon me, I want to get a little bit. Can I move this like this? Okay, now I can look from side to side. Um, and um, it's a good thing. I think it's wonderful that we have that people like to write about AA and tell their stories or get stories of other people, the old timers particularly. I think it's very helpful to all of us and to the uh, the uh, the uh, uh, fellowship itself. The only thing is that now um, so many are gone. So many of the old timers are gone. I mean, it's a very it's almost a very depressing thing for me to go through because I knew so many, only because they've been around a thousand years, you know, um, that uh, to see to, to miss them and I miss them dreadfully. Uh, fortunately, there's so many good friends still left with us, and uh, so that's very nice. But um, uh, a lot of them are gone, and it's depressing, of course, a bit, but um, on the other hand, I'm amazed that I've been around so long. Uh, <laughs> it is now 53 years. Uh, I'm 75, and there are 53 years since I read about the um, magazine article in Liberty Magazine. I was in college. I was a junior. 39, sitting just about just about this time, 53 years ago, about a month later, be a month later in uh, September, and um, I remember thinking, gee, this is a great idea. My dad was a teacher and a justice of the peace, and my goodness, how many times, almost every night, um, the uh, state troopers would come banging on our door, my father, and bringing in the local drunk to be sentenced and uh, and uh, analyzed or whatever dad had to do to them. Many of them, of course, were his best friends. These were people that were in the um, in the uh, town uh, uh, um, jobs, and um, everybody liked to drink. I mean, we had a lot of drinking going on because, especially during the 30s, right after or during Prohibition, uh, Canada sent down a lot of um, ships into our little coves down the Lake Ontario, where we lived right near Lake Ontario. And so there was a lot of liquor available to anybody who wanted it. And <clears throat> rumor had it, my dad liked a couple of beers himself now and then. My brother denies it, but I don't think I think um, that was true. But <clears throat> anyway, um, there was um, uh, something about that uh, uh, Liberty magazine that really got me. And I remembered it all these years. Now, the only thing that I thought was a little bit too bad was this, this God connection. Now, you know you're in college, and I don't know about you, but we were all radicals. I mean, we read Liberty Magazine, and, and which was kind of a, you know, it had a lot of, uh, uh, un, you know, standing post was very staid and very proper kind of that sort of thing, but not Liberty Magazine. So um, <clears throat> that was very wonderful, but I thought that too bad. The wonderful, wonderful fellowship here is getting started, but where is it going to go with that God business? Now I say that to tell you, uh, to tell you, don't ask me anything about to prophesy anything. 
because obviously I don't know much about doing that. <laughs> when, I, when I thought AA was going to fall through the floor, I, obviously I'm not very good at that sort of thing. Anyway, uh, I was a junior in, in um, college, graduated in 1940, went down to Texas, taught in a Mexican school in uh, 1941, um, came back. Uh, 40s were, I'll talk a little bit about that later, as, as Viva VAA. Um, but it was, a, it, was a, it was a time where guys were at war. Um, we had, uh, we gals were all over the place doing our own thing. And uh, it was a it was a, a a great a great time a great time, and so um, I had read not only the Saturday Post I got down to well to, to continue with my what I was doing I had gotten down to Texas came back got in the in the Coast Guard in the um, uh, ladies um, spars we were called and um, I had to raise my right hand I got into that just by. Uh, 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 Accident because when I was working as a secretary after coming back from San Antonio, a couple of my friends said, "Come on down because we're going to go into the spas, and uh, we'd like you to come down and be with us." I said, "Well, I don't know. I'm not really too interested or anything." I went down anyway. So they, while I was there, they persuaded me to take the tests and uh, examinations and everything. Didn't want to really do that. Turned out that I passed everything. They didn't. And so two weeks later, I was raising my right hand, promising to support my country and whatnot. That's how I got into the spars. And so I was there. And then coming out of there, I decided that, um, when I think about it, I can't believe it, um, go down to Mexico, because I had talent for sculpture and art. And I would go down there and join the um, uh, great European society that was down at San Miguel de Allende, right above Mexico City, where the American University was. And where there was a, <clears throat> pardon me, a great sculptor and, and charge there. Uh, so I needed a little more money than I'd gotten my uh, mustering out pay from the Coast Guard. So I went down to uh, New York, went to an agency, employment agency, showed my uh, resume, and she came across and the table and sat down and said, uh, "How would you like to work at Alcoholics Anonymous?" I said, "Oh, I'd love it." I just blew her right off the chair. She couldn't, she couldn't believe it. And uh, she expected me to say, you know, what do you, what do I mean? What, what's Alcoholics Anonymous? And so that's how I got to AA and uh, didn't really, had a couple of uh, little, stayed a little while thinking about, well, going down uh, um, and got down to Mexico. And Bill would tease me and say, well, now it's going to leave, leave us and head for the border. And I said, well, maybe, um, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, obviously I didn't do it, so I was there for the next 38 years, 30, I think it's 36 years. <laughs> Never got down to Mexico, <coughs> except at the border when I've been down to San Antonio off and on, too. Um, but uh, the point is that there was a lot going on during the 40s. Um, it was a, a time, as I say, the Saturday Post, there were two excellent articles, and uh, there were articles in Time and Newsweek, and two excellent articles in the Reader's Digest magazine, which was a favorite of my mother's. My mother loved the Reader's Digest. And I'm kind of glad, too, that I saw those articles, because they were really, really very good. And um, so that is how I came down and, and uh, got into the, uh, into the office and got situated into this fellowship and uh, stayed here. So that was 47 years ago, and uh, it's been 21 years since Bill died, and four years since Lois died. And I, of course, I miss Bill, but 
Lois is made, I still am very depressed. Not sad, I'm not talking about being, you know, sick or anything like that, but there's a bit of energy that has left. Oh, I know what's happening. It's these buttons on this coat. Pardon me, I just happened to realize that. Um, but the office, when I first came, and now I'd like to get into what this fellowship was like during the 40s. Um, when I came to the office, um, I was greeted, um, taken in to meet Bill. Uh, I saw one of the girls having a paper bag over her head, walking, dancing around the office. I learned that was Mary Lou, our princess, we called her. And um, I found out that everybody was doing their own thing. They, uh, we had about 13 people, 13 employees, two staff. We, we called them general secretaries then. Uh, the early 50s, we started calling them staff uh, when we had a little bit more organization. Bobby was a marvelous person who was the general secretary after Ruth Hawk left, the first AA one. And she was a perfectly wonderful lady. Uh, goodness knows how much influence and what she did for so many people, thousands and thousands of people. But she didn't have a lot of business, uh, a talent to keep it going and to keep things under control. Bill was out traveling all around the, you know, the, uh, uh, the U.S. and Canada trying to persuade the fellowship that they needed certain guidelines and certain things that would, part of this vision and things that would put the fellowship stabilize it and some supervision and that sort of thing, like the, the traditions and then a, the, like uh, the general service conference idea. Later on, it was the concepts and whatnot. And that. So he was traveling all over. The office was kind of all by itself, so to speak. The trustees had hands off. They didn't believe in interfering or trying to get things uh, going. It was the staff that was their business. Um, they were just kind of standing apart. As a matter of fact, neither one of the two staff members when I came, and I don't think for a while the other ones when they came the end of the decade, uh, were invited to the trustees' meetings. Once in a while, a trustee would kind of walk in and see what was going on. But it was uh, it was a hands-off. It was, it was, I call it chaotic. I, I know that sounds really bad, but it was really chaotic. As I say, the... Uh, the um, um, all the, the good things that were going on was kind of almost, uh, if the office itself, almost uh, second class, so to speak, or wasn't up to snuff because uh, there wasn't that kind of supervision that was needed uh, there. Uh, so uh, there was, for example, uh, one, there was one of everybody. There was one clerk, one um, um, uh, shipping clerk, there was uh, Mary Lou, who was the office princess, and there was Anne, the bookkeeper, who, uh, when I came, I was kind of the first of the new breed. What happened was that Charlotte, who was the second staff, <coughs> pardon me, at the office, saw what was going on when she came about six months before I did, and was shocked at what the state and what was going on, asked uh, her friend, Marion, uh, to come, who worked with her at McGraw-Hill, asked her to come and, uh, you know, bring some talent and get some supervision going in this office. And Marion did. And I, it was Marion who interviewed me that first day. And um, 
We were talking about, she'd been in the waves, I'd been in the spars. We talked all about our, our Navy and our, our service days. And finally, got around to talking about maybe how much money you know, we're going to get and whatnot. I guess I don't know who initiated it. I think probably I did. And Mary said, now look now, this is a spiritual program. And uh, we offer spiritual help here. And, um, and uh, quickly, without saying so, told me I'm not making a hell of a lot of money and the salary. And sure enough, when I got my first paycheck, I realized that that's exactly what it was, and it was going to take a long time to get down to Mexico <laughs> under, under these circumstances. So that was Mary. Mary is still a good friend. I was out to, out to the island. She lives in Montauk Point uh, uh, Island, and so I was out to see her not too long ago. And uh, she's uh, we, we reminisce about the old days, you know, and stuff like that. She's very good. And um, so that was Mary. Then we had uh, the bookkeeper, or the uh, uh, yeah, the bookkeeper, who uh, one bookkeeper it was, who um, liked when she sent out bills or notices or something like that, would always put little notes on them and saying, keep up the good work. You know, you're doing well. Don't just keep on going. You're da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And so when she finally left, she was one of the last to leave when um, uh, Charlotte or uh, Marion took over and Charlotte came and Marion took over, uh, the old staff left. I mean, the old employees left, nearly all of them. I was the first new breed. Anne was about the last to go, and when she left, um, she asked Bill if she could have a recommendation as a group therapist. Now, um, she based all that on her little notes that she wrote to, on the uh, on the bill, and uh, Bill Bill laughed and said he handed it to Bobby. Bobby laughed and said, "Oh no, we wrote it letters and oh no, we really can't do it," you know. And it was Anne, who, um, uh, the bookkeeper, who I came into the early, hadn't been there at the office too long. I came in early, very early, one morning, and opened the door. And oh, I was so startled because here was our little washstand right near the door, actually, not too far from the entrance. And here was this guy, practically naked, uh, brushing his, uh, uh, shaving his cheeks, his face. And I said, <laughs> you know, what's he doing here? What's turned out that Anne had invited them to stay all night because he was one of the authors, um, of the writers of one of the uh, Reader's Digest articles, and he had no place to stay, so she'd asked him to stay in the office. And uh, so that was what was happening when I saw him. And I tell you, there was one story after story after story. could keep on going and going. But it did. There was a turnaround. Now, um, I'd like to... Um, I, I'm showing you that th the three teensy weensy, or telling you about these three teensy weensy little rooms that we had, and uh, as our office, 13 people, including Bill, when he came down once a week, came up once a week down on Tuesday, sometimes maybe he'd stay around a Wednesday, but usually it was once a week. And um, the, I saw so the new office up at um, <clears throat> 475 uh, Riverside Drive between 119th and 120th Street is, and, and some of these pictures will, I uh, maybe give you, uh, photos will give you an idea. Absolutely. I felt like a country bumpkin going up there and looking around and, I, you know, you could get lost in this huge building with this huge floor. Then there was another floor where the grapevine, I think, was down the second in the bottom one and staff or the um, uh, um, uh, meeting rooms or something like that. But this, 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 and then there's pictures also of the um, passing around of the um, archives. Now, for heaven's sake, stop it. 
Um, the archives are magnificent. And uh, they are, uh, the whole thing is so well put together in that it looks just beautiful. It will go on for years and years and years, I'm sure. Some of the pictures will show you a little bit. And the entrance, wow, I mean, all these uh, couches and so well organized. I mean, it's just really, it blows your mind. It just blows your mind. It's so super. Who would ever have thought um, this little teensy organization going into, now I think there must be 150 or 125, 35 employees at that office now. And <clears throat> I've forgotten how many staff members, but um, it's really it's really something, really, really something. I hope you go up and see it. Um, anyway, what was going on in the 40s? And that's really what, uh, what time is it? Oh, what do you want to talk about? It was, besides what was going on at the office, um, there was, Two kind of two sides. I mean, there was the outside, what was going on in the fellowship, and on the inside, around the fellowship. Two different things, black and white, day and night. Uh, what happened in the outside? It was the 40s. It was a very special decade. It was war, mostly of the early 40s, and then the returning servicemen, building families. I live in one of these projects put up by Metropolitan Life in New York, Stuyvesant Town, maybe, probably not, uh, which was put up in about 46 for the returning servicemen who would be married and start families and need children and that sort of thing. And that, that started off very inexpensively at that point, but I, I'll tell you, it's gotten larger now. I mean, it's gotten more expensive now. <clears throat> Peter Cooper, of course, has always been a little bit more expensive. But um, this was um, a type of, of the service was very important. And as I say, I know because I was in it too, and I was part of this whole period of what was going on. And uh, we had in the early 40s, I guess about 400 AA members in service. And they were the ones, after the war, remember they had some of the guys stay in these countries, especially in Japan and Germany, enemy countries, to uh, help uh, get them started in a better way and oversee what was going on. Some of these were AAs, and they started AA in Germany. Uh, uh, Frankfurt and Munich started by uh, the work of the A of AA soldiers. Yeah, the stationary servicemen were stationed there. Also in Japan, yes, that got that got the ball rolling a little bit at that time too. And also in some of the countries, Guam, for example. So the servicemen were doing a, a really a, a, a service, another service that. Um, um, benefited the beginning and the growth of this fellowship all over the world. And um, also the women were doing their part too, and as I say, uh, we're running around the country and we're doing things and they were in part in the service also. Now, the um, like so many fellowships before AA, the Washingtonians, the Jacoby Club, the um, Emmanuel Movement uh, in, uh, in um, Boston, had kind of a framework and a process of helping people very much like AA on a, maybe a one-to-one -one basis. Certainly the Washingtonians did, too. And um, <clears throat> then there was um, this uh, business of bashing the wives a bit, saying the wives were all to blame for the, felt, for the husband's alcoholism. Oh, this is very popular. You know, you had to blame somebody, right? And the wives were the nearest uh, uh, people around to do it. And so uh, they had wives, started wives groups, especially uh, Richard Peabody when he started his uh, 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 group analysis and whatnot like that. Uh, always 
made sure the wives attended and uh, were there. The, you know what the uh, Japanese uh, call their wives? Chrysanthemums. And do you know what the Washingtonians call their wives? Now this is Washingtonian, this is in, this is about a century ago in the 1830s, up to about 1840s. Uh, they were called Martha Washington. And very appropriate. And so it was. The wives had a part, just like they do in NA today. And did very early on. But this was the 40s and this was okay. What about the outside? What was the outside going on that was helpful to AA in getting involved? Okay, professional people were helping AA besides the Rockefeller people. Uh, as you know, Bill always referred to the three-legged stool about helping AA, the, the religion, medicine, and AA's own experience. Called it the three-legged stool. And these, uh, there's so many somewhere in my book, and I won't bother, I won't get, bring, recite them all now, but there were a lot of these professional people that were supportive uh, when AA was not well-known, uh, that needed, say, uh, the, not that it needed publicity, I don't mean that, but supportive of what the ideas were, what was going on at AA, and uh, they made a great deal of difference. A great deal of difference. And also, they were um, um, the loners. During the war, the group that was going all over the, really, in the, in the islands and uh, uh, in the countries, uh, overseas countries, carrying uh, the message all by themselves. Uh, one of uh, the, well, there was construction workers going over to uh, the Arab countries and carrying, the, so many of those were carrying the message there too. Of course, the Arabs weren't supposed to be drinking outside, you know, they did a lot outside the country, but they weren't supposed to in their own country, in their own surroundings, in their state. However, one young prince got caught in alcoholism and is sent to a hospital, and <clears throat> one of the construction workers, or a couple of them, were there to help uh, uh, this young guy. One of the uh, loners was over in Sumatra and um, talked about getting in touch with the Buddhists, about uh, getting their support for what was going on in their country. And so they asked one of the Buddhist priests, and he read the 12 steps. He said, why, yes. He said, this is what we believe, too, and that's true. I'm a Buddhist myself, and I know exactly what, uh, what it is that uh, there was um, uh, the, the, the taking responsibility for yourself, the honesty, the whole thing. It's complete AA. This is what makes AA's principles so widespread. Everybody in the world can use them. I mean, it, it, it helps everybody, um, me included. When I was in the hospital, cancer, or whatever, you know, a lot of things. And uh, I carried the message there to, to a lot of the uh, people. And they wanted me to stay and... and uh, and continue to do it. So there's, um, uh, when I was uh, thought there was a, a heart attack or heart problems, I went to um, Australian Clinic on uh, on uh, 34th, 34th Street, talked to a young gal who was a doctor, and uh, she asked me what I did. I told her, she, I said, well, I'm retired, long retired now. She says, well, what did you do? So I told her, well, that's all you have to do is ask me. You know, and boy, I'm off to the races. <laughs> she says, oh. I uh, practice the 12 steps, too. I said, oh, what group do you belong to? She says, I'm not a member. I just love it. When I was receptionist the first eight years, the first seven years when I first came to the office, and during that period in 1950, I started uh, working for Bill, too, and um, but I was receptionist until 1954. And I can't tell you how many people, at least once a week, at least one person, so I'm not exaggerating at all, came into the office and asked me for a copy of the 12 steps. 
And um, I, I forgot, I soon learned not to ask them what group they belonged to because I knew they didn't belong to probably any group. Uh, but that was what was happening. Uh, people even in those years were, were, were aware of the need and the value of these 12 steps and they wanted to use the program as they still do now. I told Bill in the 40s, I said, this is going to go all over the world. He said, you can say it, I can't. Uh, <laughs> But it is, and as we know, I mean, when you think it's up to a little, I mean, there's a little group right out four miles outside the North Pole, for example, and workers obviously doing something up there. And they've been on the South Pole for a long time, you know, this big area, and uh, workers and whatnot. So there were a lot of AAs in that area. It's been uh, little Nepal asked us to come over and uh, bring AA over there. Can you believe it? Nepal. And uh, one of my friends, uh, AA friends, went over with a, with a minister, priest, and uh, helped them uh, get AA started in that country. And this is just all over the world. It's unbelievable. Anyway, there has been one of the things on the outside of, of going on with the steady growth of AA. These are good things. Also, the radio, coming back to the more mundane things now, <laughs> the radio had Aunt Jenny, which was an, a soap opera, and would have um, occasionally a story about uh, AA. And uh, there was also uh, Ask an Alcoholic. And I think that, I heard that was coming back on radio. And have any of you heard that? I mean, Ask an Alcoholic? Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, one of the good uh, radio programs, series, series of programs that came out of Hartford uh, that we have in the office, and also Detroit, WWJ, and very big wheel <laughs> that we have in the office, um, that did a lot of good that carried the message in so many ways. So there was lots of things going on the radio, too. Newspapers, of course, the media, we had scrapbook uh, galore. When I left, I had about 15 scrapbooks done, I guess. I don't know whether there, I hope there's some more done now. Um, so many things to do. Um, but there was, uh, and if you read those newspapers, because we started doing the scrapbooks about the 1939, uh, at least, maybe 1940, and you see these funny pictures. And here's a, a, a picture of a guy with a big mask over his face, um, you know, like he was a burglar. And you'd see him with another guy walking down an alley. He was a mask over his face going to a meeting. And uh, there was a picture, oh gosh, there's so many, uh, but these, somehow I remember, I've talked about these so many times, um, taken a shot taken of back of Bill on, a podium, on the podium towards the audience. The audience is, has white packages covering their face, and they're taking a picture of all of this. There was so much, so much, I mean, it's, it's um, uh, not really, it, it's trying to do the protection, make the protection, in the best way that can be could be done and thought about. So there was a lot going on in that area in the newspapers, and they carried very, very good articles. And uh, I remember that they, in the very early days, they used AA with initial uh, the um, uh, quotation marks, you know, around the, the A period, A period. Oh boy, so many things. And the movies, of course, there were a heck of a lot of movies. Remember Harvey and. Um, uh, come back a little Sheba. Um, there was um, oh, Ann, uh, the the actress Berg, Berg, um, Bergner. Bergner. I can't think of her name. Uh, can't think. Of, well, there were so many. I, it's, hmm? No, uh, this was a German girl uh, uh, who um, a good actress, a wonderful actress. Uh, been in Germany on the screen and all of that, and she came over here on the stage. Huh? 
maybe that was the maybe that was the one. Maybe so. But she that was uh, made a big hit over here. Cup of Trembling. She was in, it was called Cup of Trembling. Um, and it was a it was a movie first, and then I think into a play or something like that. Also, there and of course the big big turning point really in this fellowship was a movie. You know which one? The Lost Weekend. Oh, that was very important too. I remember. Oh, I remember that 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 melody opening up. We went to the preview of that um, at the office, and oh, we all just saw oh, it was so beautiful that melody. It's the days of wine and roses, of course. Now, Lost Weekend that changed the complexion of how people viewed alcoholism like nothing else really did. It showed a, and you know it. You've all seen it. Uh, maybe several times, I'm sure. It changed what people, the concept of an alcoholic, not a low-class, flowery bum, but a middle-class or upper-class businessman, salesman, whatever, who got alcoholic and became an alcoholic and became a bowery bum, so to speak. And it showed what how he could be helped and changed. And that really... Uh, we were bombarded from that time on, from the middle on, by movie companies to make movies. They wanted, I mean, we, every single, I think about at least six movie companies. Barge made a big uh, run to our door. Uh, the one that um, we considered for a long time, until about 49, was the Paramount uh, uh, script. And I thought it was kind of good because um, it was done by Robert Smith. And so I just thought that would be kind of sensible to have a movie written by Robert Smith. <laughs> but it was decided not to do it, that it really wasn't. Uh, uh, at that time, nobody could spend a lot of time. Bill was still traveling around the country. And it was, again, I was just telling you about the, the office things that couldn't be done. But um, later on, of course, uh, in, uh, there was uh, movies made. Not with AA, but about AA anyway. And so those were very good things. Also, there were, of course, a lot of um, books. There was This Believing World, This Believing World. Lewis Brown, I think the same was. I read this book in college, and it turned me around. This is what really changed my concept of, of, uh, of uh, spirituality, of religion. Not religion, but spirituality. Um, it had uh, it was a combination um, of composite of a lot of religions. And I just thought it was great. It was my father's book. And uh, to this day, I, I gave it to the uh, archives. But that was very well. That was read by everybody. All the, you know, it's like Sermon on the Mount was read by all the AAs. And um, there were just, uh, oh, just ever so many. If a man be mad, for example, by Harold Maine, a story of his DTs. Now, I always think of the episode in the office when um, I mentioned uh, if a man be mad because we in those days, in the 40s, were kind of like an intergroup. Uh, you know, drunks would come and sit and go to sleep in the, you know, in the um, uh, um, reception room. I was in the reception room and I gave him the chair and you know, said, Abby would come in, Abby Thatcher would come in and Abby was a good friend. When he was sober, he was uh, great. Very intelligent, very well trained, very knowledgeable, very good to talk to. And, but when he was drunk, all oh, well, blasted Bill. He thought he should be, of course, his co-founder. <coughs> Pardon me. And it was very difficult. And I can understand. I think it must have been very, uh, you know, very difficult for him because he, after all, he was the one that brought the message to Bill. 
And uh, but he, um, he 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 never never after about two years after he brought the message to Bill he was sober. Then he went up to Albany where his family was, his brothers and sisters, and he got drunk. And from that time on, it was off and on. The big thing in in New York that everybody newcomers wanted their 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 really their effort was to sober Abby up, be the one to do it, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> didn't happen. <laughs> never, unfortunately, never really happened. One New York member got the idea of putting Abby on a plane and sending him down to Texas, and uh, with the approval of a couple of the guys down there, which they did, they did too. Abby didn't want to do it. He's very soft-faced, and I said, oh. But they put him on the plane. He went down. He was sober. Well, not. He had a brief uh, for Abby. A very brief, <laughs> very light. Uh, slip overnight and in jail overnight. And um, <laughs> uh, then people then John and uh, take care of him. And Ebby always said if he had a girl and a job, he could stay sober. Okay, he had that down in Texas and he stayed sober. Uh, the gal had a big problem, drug problem. But Eddie took care of her, looked after her, took his job. This was for about, what, five years or something like that. So he kept, he had sobriety for a long time. However, she died and Eddie got drunk. And so he came back north and uh, stayed with Don Lois for a while. Then he went up to, um, um, Schenectady, near Schenectady. Ken, trying to think of the place where, he, where his hometown was. His brother was up there. Ken. Ebby's brother, Art, had been in AA. He was also an alcoholic. All his brothers were alcoholics. Just like one of the movie stars, all his brothers were alcoholics as well as himself. Um, runs in the family. <coughs> we all know that. Um, but Ebby uh, did then go up to a, a, a drying out place up near, up near uh, um AA, two AAs had it going up there, and they were very, very solicitous and careful of Abby. But he died finally, emphysema, and he died in 1966, March 1966. As a matter of fact, uh, three guys died, important ones, if I can remember them. Um, Abby, uh, Dr. Thibault, and Sister Ignatia, all in about a week, week and a half's time. Often happens this way. And um, Bill got up to uh, Abby's and Sister Ignatia's, but he couldn't get over to Dr. Thibault's funeral. But again, Abby's contribution, if you want to call it on a negative point of view, but the other side of the coin thing, but there it was. Um, but coming back, and I, what is, uh, um, <laughs> you know, even with notes, I don't pay any attention to them. I mean, <laughs> I just run on and on. Um, but I, I, to, to end up, what the outside part of this was. Now, there were other things, but these are just the things I thought about. Um, alcoholism agency started up about uh, the latter part of the 40s. A lot of those started. Hazelton began about, what, 48, 49? And in a very small way. Uh, interesting, Parkside, who did my book and, um, and Bob and uh, Sue's book, uh, is just about as big as Hazelton is now. Uh, it's all over the country. I mean, all over. Boy, they've got you running all over, too, I can tell you that. Um, hospitals, drying out places were forming very, very rapidly all over the place. You know something, I want to tell you something. Um, 
my favorite, you want to know my favorite magazine, I think, and I tell this and use my long experience as, <laughs> as a great reason for telling you this. It's the grapevine. The grapevine, and I'm very, I'm very, uh, def definitely projecting it because this happens to be, as a matter of fact, this is the July 90 and it's the overseas, it's the worldwide one. And, um, the fact was that it was, uh, um, takes care of people, it takes, it shows people, events, uh, um, history, everything that you want to know is from the grapevine. It is just amazing what you can learn in there and what you can use it as a reference. If you want to look up something, you know where ant abuse first appeared in um, the grapevine? Dr. Ruth Fox from New York was doing that. That was in 1950. I can't tell you the exact um, number, but uh, in 1950 it appeared. But the grapevine carries everything of news and uh, the events that happen and the reasons and what's going on. What's going, it could be, say, what's going on would be a good title for it or something. Um, but anyway, these are the outside things that were happening. And what about the inside? Well, again, coming back to what I was talking about the office and the, the inside the AA uh, area itself. I talked about the lack of supervision at the office. That was certainly true and that continued for a long time. Um, the trustees were hands off. The employees were doing their own thing. Around the fellowship, now this just wasn't in the office. This was around the fellowship. There were guys who were starting newsletters. They called themselves founders. They thought Bill was vastly exaggerated uh, in his accomplishments and what he did. And I can't tell you how many founders there were all over the country. It was, a, it was tr a truly, I mean, you didn't, you know, where, where are you going to uh, put all these people? And um, not only that, but the countries in many parts of the country, like California, was not too friendly. They wanted to start their own general service. Uh, office and they wanted to do their own thing on the west side, not depend on New York to do everything. New York was not too popular in those days. And um, Bill was working so hard during this time to to get started in this over uh, overseeing uh, of these projects that he thought was terribly important to bring them all together. And so that he wasn't couldn't be in two places at the same time. So as I said, the finally what did happen, but um, uh, to the <coughs> office itself was, and I don't know whether it was the trustees who finally saw the light, or exactly, or whether Bill in, in uh, getting it started uh, got together a general service committee to oversee the office, which they did locally. And out of which, later in the 50s, came two very, very good general managers, Hank G. and Herb M. and maybe Bob H. I can't quite remember if Bob was in there, too. But that started the shift going in the right direction of of the work of the, the the pathway that the office was following and would follow in the future. So that that was what started going and then in the nineteen fifties we we got going into the service period and then more and more so we're almost now into six into six decades. 
and of which I think the first two decades are really the really most important ones because they tell what had to be overcome. It was frightful in many ways. I'm not really exaggerating at all, but it was something. The reason I say this, they didn't, they took this all out of the book. I was 20 pages out of my book. I guess they thought I was bashing AA or something like that. The reason I talk about it is to show the miracle. This could have, AA is a miracle. It could have gone down the slats at any given point. For example, in the late 40s, this idea of Marty Mann, remember she had uh, solicited uh, from which she was able to do. It was her right to do for the um, National Committee on Alcohol, called NCEA at that time, um, Education on Alcoholism. But she said that in her letter of solicitation that AA would benefit by any contributions that they made. Well, the whole thing <laughs> hit the fan. And uh, we had... AA could have gone down, disappeared at that point because there was commotion going. Bill was had to come back. Um, Bill and Dr. Bob had their names on the National Committee letterhead as approving and whatnot. It's a very bad thing to do. To to traditions were there in um, danger. They quickly they took their I don't say quickly they took their names off the um, uh, letterhead, and but it was for. Four full years before, and at the end of which, before this was keep going on, at the end of which, uh, this, it shored up, made stable what the idea of self-support was, which then appeared in the approved, uh, copies, uh, 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 uh listing that was approved by the General Service, by the, uh, uh, First International Con- uh, Conference in 1950 in Cleveland, accepted by them. Um, approved of the tradition thing. <clears throat> so it was a very, that was a very, very difficult time. So there were so many things. So the miracle is that it lasted. For a long time, many, many members did not approve of getting in touch with people working in the field of alcoholism, uh, merely because of the modern example and what was happening. So it was a, it was one of these things that had to be certainly overcome and uh, whatnot. However, it went on, and the miracle is that AA went all over the world. Right now, today, there were, there were about um, 1,200 groups when I first came to the office 47 years ago, uh, about um, 40,000 members, and just a year or two later, there were 40,000 members just in California alone. So that's how fast it was starting to operate. And uh, there were, um, now, uh, there are at least 175 or six countries that have AA. I don't know about you, but that just that just throws my mind. And there are about um, 96, probably near 100,000, 96,000, maybe near 100,000 groups now all over the world. And there are uh, about... Two million five five hundred thousand, maybe even more, maybe near three hundred three million members all over the world. AA survived. It's a miracle. Now we have not only the General Service Conference in good order, we have um, the World Service Meeting every two years. Every other year it meets in New York. We have the European um, um, Service Meeting, ESM Service Meeting, yeah, uh, for European, all of Europe. And we have the Ibero, I forgot, Ibero Convention Service, maybe it's called a service meeting too, for Central America and South America all over. So they're all using the same pattern, the same 
principles that we use to uh, use too. So it's going. It's going on. A miracle. I want to uh, close, will you believe it? Uh, with, uh, again, the great grapevine. One of my dear friends, Dr. Osman, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Oscar Olson, who I saw last in, in, in Seattle in 1990, um, again wrote for the, for, what the overseas, the uh, worldwide, um, he called his article a friend of the fellowship. You know, I, heck, wish I knew that. Uh, that's great. A friend of the fellowship. Uh, too bad, you know. <laughs> but he said, in conclusion to his article, he says, in my opinion, AA is one of the century's miracles. And I am sure that AA still has a job to do in this troublesome world in creating individual miracles. True. And we will continue to do it. So thank you very much. And I think it's about time.